Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning. It is the Michael Duke Show. And it's Monday. Oh, God, it's Monday. Oh, I mean, it's Monday. Yay. It's I'm so happy. So happy that it's Monday. Hello, my friends, and uh, welcome to the program today. We've got uh, lots of stuff to talk about here in hour one with, uh, of course, all the things happening today is the 30-day mark. It's the 30-day countdown, the sprint to the finish. The sprint to the finish. We have 30 days to finish the session. Um, This weekend was actually the official, the 90th day of the legislative session, and uh, (laughs) the legislature has yet to finish. I I think it's twice that they've finished the session in 90 days twice, maybe three times with COVID that they actually were able to finish within that 90 day mark to get it all done. Even though it's the law, uh, you know, they've got that constitutional thing to back them up. And, uh, so they, they do what they got to do, but this is where things get fast. Now things start to come fast and furious because now they're, they've got it down. They've only got another 30 days to, to get it done. And, uh, this is where time compression as a weapon comes into play, because you know, a lot of this stuff they've kind of, kind of, kind of, uh, they kind of have held off, held off up until this point, and now they're going to, uh, now they're going to uh, throw everything at you at once, and then look you in the eye and tell you, well, we had to get that passed because we only had so much time, and it's getting close to the end and i know that we <clears throat> you know didn't give you proper notice and did all these things and all that but you know it's because we had so little time in the end it, i mean they didn't do anything for the first 30 days but other than that it's fine right i mean it's anyway what <laughs> oh my gosh it's just you know the more things change the more they stay the same how about how about that the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's uh, uh, it's how it is. Uh, it it I don't know. It, it just seems that's that's the that's the way of it right there. Um, all right. So today on the program, <clears throat> we're going to go through all these headlines in hour one. Sorry about that. I'm. <clears throat> Not quite a hundred percent this morning. I don't know what the deal is, but I woke up and uh, not quite, not quite there yet. Uh, you're going to help me though. Uh, so we're going to go over the headlines in hour one, including everything that's going on around the state and where we go from here. And then in hour two, we're going to pick it up uh, for a little bit of Myers Monday. Um, Rob Myers, uh, state senator from District 
Oh, Q. Q? Used to be District, used to be, used to be District B. Now it's District Q, I think. Up there in the North Pole area, Rob Myers is going to be joining us here. And we'll be talking with him. In fact, he just dropped in the chat room. Yes, 2008, 2013, and 2020. Those are the only three years since we've passed the 90-day session limit that they've actually hit in 90 days and been able to get in and get out. And 2020 really doesn't count because that was COVID and nobody wanted to do anything. So they just passed a boilerplate budget and they got out. (laughs) That was it. Oh man. Oh, what are, what are you going to do? Um, so, uh, so anyway, that's the, that's the program for today. Rob Myers will be joining us tomorrow. Brad Keithley, Chris Story, and then on Wednesday, State Senator Mike Schauer, and I'm working on some other, <clears throat> some other ancillary guests. Um, surprisingly, been getting a lot of good uh, press, not press, uh, correspondence, feedback, feedback, I guess was the word that I was looking for. Getting a lot of good feedback on some of the other guests that we've been having, including the author's. Uh, and some of the non-political stuff that we've been talking about, which is uh, which is good, which is good. Where I'm working on, I'm working on more of those where we need a little bit more of just kind of slice of life stuff. And uh, I, it's un- <clears throat> it's unusual for me. It's not my normal thing. So I'm reaching out to different channels and folks and places and trying to get all that stuff squared away. So. That's uh, that's what happened in there. Okay, so what's what's on the um, what's on the what's on the agenda for the news stories today? Well, we got several different stories about the budget because uh, again, thirty day mark now is the sprint to the finish. Now things, you know, if they've been working on a scale of one to ten, you know, they're working at about a five maybe a six. This is where they crank it up to 11 for the last 30 days. And all of a sudden, all of the different, uh, all of the different stuff has to happen. And now you can see that there is a whole slew of pieces and parts, uh, that are up for public testimony just over the next few days. In fact, uh, today and tomorrow, you've got a lot of opportunity this morning, uh, at 8 a.m., in House Education, there's a bill on the Correspondence Study Program funding, HB 139. At 1.30 this afternoon, there's going to be a handful of bills that are in Senate Finance, um, a couple on Appropriation Taxable Income, Citizens Advisory Commission on Federal Areas, then in Labor and Commerce, there's going to be uh, two different bills, one Profession of Pharmacy, it's SB 94, and then controlled substance data exempt animal prescriptions on HB 56. That's in labor and commerce. Senate Resource is going to have a bill about geothermal resources. Uh, then House and Community and Regional Affairs is tomorrow at 8 a.m. is having that bill on the muni- the new municipal property, the tax exemption and the blight tax. That's coming up tomorrow morning. Uh, The discrimination against gender identity and sexual orientation is also going to be up in front of community and regional affairs. Um, Then in mid um, um, and then in mid uh, mid morning at 1015, uh, 
Uh, House Energy Committee has a, a, a presentation and public testimony on sustainable energy, HB 154. Then the Transportation Committee in the House has a bill at 1 p.m., uh, HB 128, that deals with the oil terminal facilities. Uh, and then at 1.30 in Senate Community and Regional Affairs, there's going to be reclassification of first-class cities bill, SB 79. I have no idea what that one's about, other than obviously it's a reclassification of first-class cities. And then at 3 p.m. in the state affairs, there's a restorative justice account appropriate HB 116. I don't even know what this is about. Hold on. Let me pop this up real quick because that just sounds uh, an act relating to appropriations for from the restorative justice account, um, which is the what the restorative justice account. Um, be it enacted by the legislature, the legislature may appropriate amounts from the account to the following recipients in the prior order and percentage limits. Oh, this is about another, okay, this is about another um, story that we're going to um, uh, talk a little bit about. This is the, uh, this is the bill that would increase the amounts of uh, compensation that crime victims receive from a fund established uh, and for the operating cost of the Violent Crimes Compensation Board. Um, so it, that's that's what the restorative justice is about. And then finally, um, State Affairs has got a bill, uh, Senate State Affairs rather, at 3.30 on Tuesday, um, has got a bill about license plates and specialty organizations, SB 95, which uh, Kelly Merrick, Keel, Kaufman, Bjorkman, an act relating to a special request, specialty organization registration fl- uh, plates. I don't know. So apparently they're making fancy license plates again. So that's a that's another. I hadn't even heard about this bill. That would not surprising. Not surprising. Uh, but that's just the next two days. What is that? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, thirteen, fourteen different hearings just in the next two days. It's like a full-time job, <laughs> just like a full-time job trying to keep up with the legislature. Anyway, uh, Must Read Alaska's got a list of all the testimony and also the contact information um, when you want to, uh, if you want to sound off on this. And, of course, you can just send emails. You could send it to the various committees and everything else. There's a whole list of, uh, excuse me, there's a whole list of email addresses that uh, Downing has listed on this uh, article as well. Uh, this is up uh, from yesterday. Monday, Tuesday, public testimony opportunities is the name of the uh, article. I'm going to go ahead and drop it in the chat room. So if folks want to go out there and, and do it, you can do it right there. So that's, uh, that's. I mean, again, this is the start, right? This is the, you just heard the starter's pistol go off this morning uh, because at midnight on May the 17th, um, Monday, uh, uh, midnight at Monday the 17th is the last and final day of this session. Somebody in the chat room just said, public testimony is a waste of time. Well, I mean, if you feel that way, I guess it is. Uh, The problem is, is that we've seen uh, we've seen different legislators and different elected bodies be be uh, be swayed by public testimony. So I don't think it's a waste of time. Sometimes it feels like it. 
I mean, there's no doubt about it. Sometimes, you know, you get up and you're you are on hold for. I mean, last time I testified in front of the legislature, I mean, I did, it wasn't in front of the legislature. I I called in like all the other re- regular Joe schmoes. You know, I mean, I was on hold for three hours or something to be able to do it. I remember because I was. I was working at my desk at the station and I was sitting there and I had the speaker phone on and I was trying to, I was getting other work done, but it was like a full three hours of, uh, of, uh, of waiting before I finally got a chance to get on there. Um, and I can't remember if it was that time or the time before that I actually got hung up on and had to restart my wait, but it is frustrating. It is frustrating. It is, but this is why I said, don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary in well-doing because, you know, sure, we could all throw our hands up in the air and just walk away and go, why even bother to talk about this? But it's one of the only places that we have a real true influencer voice is in our local politics. About as high as the state level is about as high as you'll be able to go because we're not making a difference in national politics, but we are making a difference in state politics. And yeah, there are legislators like Andy Josephson who basically, you know, looks at you and say, well, all that testimony was nice, but I'm voting this way anyway. Or the Paul Seatons of the world who, I mean, I really think that was one of the reasons why Paul Seaton was un, was unelected was because he basically, after three hours of testimony against the bill that he wanted to vote for, looked at everybody and said, well, that's great, but you guys just don't really understand the details of this, you know. But I think it, I think it, uh, you know, I think it's a good, uh, uh, I, I think, still think it's a good thing. It's not easy. It's not satisfying in a lot of ways, but it does eventually have an effect. Uh, it just takes some time, unfortunately. It's one of the things that takes some time. All right. I got, uh, we'll start to get into this and we'll start to talk about all this stuff. We'll see what is coming up and what's going on. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more. Don't forget, Rob Myers is our guest. Starting in hour two. We'll be back right after this. Don't go anywhere. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Uh, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? <laughs> <coughs> Yeah, oh man, this morning was a little bit rough this morning. Normally, Mondays aren't too bad for me, but this morning it was all I could do to drag myself out of the rack. Holy cow. Um, um, let me go back up here to see what you guys are talking about, see what's going on. Let me get caught up. 
Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, James said the live stream is not on, and uh, it's it's been on for my end. So hopefully, James, that's check, check, check. Yeah, it's working. Okay, I'm just looking. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Dad. I saw Dad, and Brian said hello to my dad. Everybody say hello to Dad. Everybody say hello to my dad. That guy, he just keeps going. He's like an energizer bunny. That guy just keeps going and going and going, keeping me on the straight and narrow. Um, good morning. Uh, good morning, Hector. There's a new name I hadn't seen. Good morning, Hector. Uh, nothing on the massive oil giveaway. We've talked about it several times. Um, uh, going, I'm just going through here. Uh, public testimony. Um, you need to get Representative Prax on your show and ask him why he is against HB 105. Okay, I'll uh, I'll talk. What is HB 105? I can't keep track of uh, what do we got here? HB 10. Where's my list? Where's my list? Um, okay. HB 105. All right, I'm going to have to go look it up because I don't see it there. And I don't recall what HB 105 is. Jason, feel free to enlighten me. Uh, an act relating to moving Juno to Portland. Uh, what's the T-shirt? The T-shirt is my favorite spaceship company, Drake Interplanetary. Drake Interplanetary. Oh, man. Um, that's an inside thing for me. That has to do with my Twitch streaming, just so you know. Okay. Um, oh, my favorite line. Um, every LGBTQ ADC teacher and student called in to get rid of parental rights in school. Uh, Terry says, I have testified on local issues, and yes, it does make a difference. Chris disagrees. He said legislators cannot remember what they say in session, let alone what their constituents testify to. And uh, and that was the whole, uh, again, Harold saying public testimony is a waste of time. Uh, you know, I mean, it feels that way a lot of the time. Absolutely. Um, uh, I'm going through here. ATF SBR registration laws is all about money. Not everywhere in the U.S. you have to register an SBR to the ATF. Uh, Hector, unfortunately, that's not true. You do have to register because that's a, that's a federal law. You do have to register a short barrel rifle with the ATF regardless of where you are in the United States. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Oh, the Parents' Bill of Rights. I thought that was HB 99. Oh, maybe. I thought it was 104. Anyway, I don't know. Space pirate? Maybe. Maybe I'm a space pirate. Actually, I find that I can't do piratey things, <clears throat> even in video games. You know, that's the thing. You get some of these video games where you can be a good guy or a bad guy, and I just I can't find it in me to be a bad guy very much. Again, I'm kind of the neutral space cowboy. I mean, I'd be a little bit bad, but not... Also, I'm not 100% virtuous, but it's one of those, one of those things. All right, uh, we got to go. Uh, we're 30 seconds out right now, ready to get things done. Uh, HB 105 is the parental rights bill. I don't know why I thought that was 104. 
anyway, appreciate you guys coming on board. Uh, please like and share, like and follow. Hit subscribe on YouTube. My God, I'm trying to get a thousand. I... Anyway, let's go. Here we go. Jumping back into it. Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Okay. So... Got a few of the um, got a few of the big uh, headlines for you here around this morning. Getting ready, things uh, getting things ready to go. Again, Rob Myers will be joining us at the top of the hour for kind of a recap on what's going on in the Senate. Um, so the governor's bill uh, or bills or proposals that uh, he's all excited about wanting to. Um, uh, you know, uh, to to crow about, I guess, all has to do with these uh, carbon offsets, right? These new carbon offset taxes. What did he say? Was it six hundred? It was six hundred million dollars, wasn't it? That's what he proposed as the potential for revenues coming in from the carbon, the various carbon offset programs, whether it was carbon sequestration where they pump it into the ground or whether it's the offset where you you keep the beautiful stands of trees up to offset the carbon that they're burning you know i don't whatever the whole thing the whole the the whole rigmarole of stuff going back and forth 600 million was the number that's sticking with me somebody in the chat room correct me if i'm wrong but i believe it was 600 million that uh the governor had said, this is the potential. This is the greatest thing since sliced white bread. And uh, we all kind of looked at this with a jauntist eye like, really? I mean, right. 600 mi- First of all, there's a spin-up period, right? It, it just doesn't happen. I mean, here, here's my budget that's got a $500 million hole in it. But by the way, I'm balancing it out with this carbon offset stuff that's going to generate $600 million. Not taking into account that there's like, again, a spin-up period where it's going to take some while for this stuff to happen and everything else. Well, we're finding out more and more about the bill. And we're finding uh, more and more about, you know, how this would work and everything else. And I know that there's a lot of folks out there. I've seen it in the chat room many times. You know, that the governor is giving in to the one-worlders about the thing and the carbon and the green credits, and it's all I mean, its all smoke and mirrors anyway, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. But even his uh even his uh his party in the uh in the in the legislature on the house and the house majority is like, well, little bit of a jauntist eye. Uh, as they look at this, uh, the uh, Alaska Beacon has got a story up on this from Sophia Car- uh, Carlisle. Um, says uh, that the bill uh, that was proposed to raise state revenue by storing carbon was met with skepticism by the House Finance Committee on uh, last week. The bill would authorize the Department of Natural Resources to lease state land for carbon management 
and establish a program to offset the effect of carbon burned elsewhere. The piece of legislation has been proposed as a way to generate revenue, but some legislators don't believe it will easily solve Alaska's revenue problem. Uh, Rep. Julie Colombe had said, I have concerns about how much, uh, that's not how you say your name, is it? It's, uh, um, God, I hate it when I forget that. Anyway, uh, she said, I have concerns about how much revenue is actually going to be generated. Yeah, I think so. Josh, uh, Joshua Strauss, who's the senior vice president of ANU, a company offering carbon offset programs, presented to the committee last Monday at the hearing. He advocated for the use of carbon offsets programs as a way for the state to generate revenue, citing three potential physical areas in Alaska that would be ripe for implementing carbon offset programs. Now, carbon offsets, again, are the ones where they just basically leave the trees freestanding to say we're holding this in reserve and it it offsets somebody burning forests somewhere else in the world, right? And then you've got carbon sequestration where they pump it into the ground. So there's a couple different things here. But he said he advocated for the use of the uh, offset programs as a way to generate state revenue, citing three potential physical areas in Alaska that would be ripe for the program, including Haines, Tanana, and the Matsu Borough. So if the bill passed and the Department of Natural Resources could lease the lands, uh, lease the, uh, these areas of lands, he said the potential for state revenue would be upwards of, wait for it, $80 million in the first decade. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I thought this was like $600 million in offset. I thought this was... Oh, it's just a part of it, though, Dukes. Don't get don't get all snarky about it. It's just a part of it. It's just one part. I mean, I'm hoping that there's another $520 million in offsets coming from sequestration somewhere. If this is only $80 million in the first decade, not even $80 million a year, $80 million over a 10-year period. But then they went on to talk about the high startup costs of the program and the length of time that would be required to take action on the carbon offset programs. So I guess my question is, and I did not listen to this presentation because, I mean, I just, who's got time for that, right? I would love to read a little bit of a synopsis, though, because high startup costs, um, with carbon offsets, you're basically just protecting an area from any kind of development or sale or logging or resources or anything else, hopefully from forest fires, too, because, you know, what's the high, what is it, What? how much are we talking about here? Elise Galvin is uh, not uh, swayed by it. She said, it's pretty speculative, and I think there's an opportunity that we should look at, but it's clearly not the solution we should bank on. It's it's asking for a pretty big investment in advance. And that she said, uh, she said, she said she was more favorably uh, inclined towards her plan that offered a different solution. She's talking about the income tax that she was talking about. But, I mean, what what is the startup cost on a on a carbon offset program? I mean, it just, does it, what does it take? I mean, is there some kind of infrastructure you got to build to protect the forest? Is there something you got to knock a tree down to keep a tree up? I don't, I don't understand. But uh, again, this is why I think many of us, when we heard about the governor's bills, 
and proposals on carbon offsets and carbon sequestration, we were like, well, I think you may be betting on the if come there. Then, you know, because again, it was sold as kind of a whole package of here's my bill. I know it runs into the red, but uh, here's how we offset that is with this thing. But again, you knew none of this stuff was going to come to fruition this year. So it's, it's again, it's the kind of the sorceress voodoo economic things where they're like, I know the balance, the budget is not balanced, but here's how we're going to magically balance it out over here. I, I, but you, you're not going to, we knew that it wasn't going to, and you're, and you're pie in the sky wish of $600 million. That just, none of that seems like that makes any sense. None of that seems like it's going to be, but maybe we've got these, you know, again, this, this upfront cost. Wait a second. Who's making money from all this upfront cost? Who's, who's taking that money? Is it the companies like this, a new company? Are they, is somebody getting paid and then wandering off of the pucker brush later on? Is this like, is this like one of those con things where you get the money up front and then they disappear later on? I mean, I'm asking for a friend. Is this? It seems a little scammy. I would like to know exactly what the start. I mean, everybody's talking about the high startup costs, but unfortunately, this article um, does not say what the startup costs would be, which is unfortunate. They've been doing some good reporting over there at the Alaska Beacon. I mean, it's slanted, obviously, in some ways, but I mean, overall, they've been pretty. But they they mention it several times that this has got a high startup cost, but then they don't tell us how much the startup cost is. For our $80 million in revenue over 10 years, that's only $8 million a year, by the way, for those of you who are mathematically challenged, how much do I have to put up front to get $8 million a year in return for the next 10 years? I don't know. Why would there be any? I don't. All they have to do is the Department of Natural Resources would have to lease these areas of lands and protect them. Where is the investment? I'm missing something, obviously. I, I, and I'd be the first to admit, did not listen to the hearing, did not listen to this. Um, but wow, uh, just wow. And then I said it backwards. Wow. $1.2 million, says Kevin in the chat room. He says it, he thinks it's $1.2 million. Why would you need $1.2 million to lease land to? All right, never mind. Never mind. I just, I can't even, <clears throat> I can't even think about it. I can't even think about that. But that's what's coming on. Uh, and that's just part one, right? That's just the oil. That's the carbon offset. That's not the sequestration port components. I don't even know if we're going to get to the uh, sequest, uh, sequestration components this year or not, but this is obviously not happening like right now. It, it probably not even happening in the next, next part of the session. It could be two or three years before we see any of that stuff, but you know, Hey, that's what it is. Um, Hey, remember Gabby Ledoux? Remember Gabriella Do? Remember Gabby? Remember her, her shifty ways? Remember that? Well, she's finally going to court. Finally going to court. Uh, not until after Thanksgiving of this year. My God, 
Thanksgiving of this year. Uh, they've been set the trial date. The trial date has now been set for after Thanksgiving, more than three years after the state accused her, her chief of staff and her chief of staff's son from election misconduct in regards to the primary and general elections in 2018. Um, the, uh, they were accused of soliciting and encouraging people who did not live in Ledoux's district to vote for her in elections that year. They also got a bunch of dead people to vote that, which is, I mean, that's impressive when you get dead people to rise from the grave and come and, 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 and vote for you. Ledoux's former chief of staff, Lisa Simpson, also accused of multiple election related crimes. She unsuccessfully ran for state house last year and withdrew from the race after finishing third. Her son, Caden Vaught, is the third person facing charges. Earlier this week, the judge issued a bench warrant after Vaught failed to appear for a Tuesday hearing, and his attorney said he had been unable to contact him. Um, anyway, uh, the the whole the whole thing is just. If you'll recall, the investigation back in August of 2018 when the Division of Elections alerted the troopers about a bunch of irregularities with absentee ballots, one of those irregularities that was glaringly obvious was 17 voters requesting absentee ballots from a single mobile home in East Anchorage. And I think it was KTUU that went up to the, actually did an on the person, on the street, they went up and knocked on the door and, and asked them about, do they support Gabriel Ledoux? And then they started asking about all these other names. And the guy was like, oh, got to go. <laughs> Slam the door on him. I mean, nothing to see here. Move along. Move along. So the, the, uh, <laughs> the whole thing was just uh, crazy. Uh, they actually had uh, been looking all the way back to 2014 to some of the things that had gone on in 2014, but an Anchorage judge dismissed two misdemeanors linked to the 2014 race, and that leaves just the 2018 election issues that are going up there. And, of course, COVID contributed to all this because she was supposed to go to court in the 2020, and now, finally, they've got it all. So... It'll be interesting to see exactly how dirty it turns out to be. I'll be watching this like court TV. I'll be like popping popcorn like crazy. Like everybody else was watching the Johnny Depp April Heard thing, Amber Heard thing. I'll just be, I'll be watching the Gabrielle Ledoux trial because I am interested in how, how dirty is Alaskan politics? Well, we know it's not, it's not pretty. Let's just put it that way. Um, all right. I got, uh, oh, I got a couple more stories. I got a couple more stories, but we are up against it. So let's continue. Uh, we gotta, we gotta take a break. Don't forget. You can always join us on Facebook. Uh, we got the whole crew out there on Facebook. They're criticizing me. I can hear it. I could feel, I could feel the criticism, not from everybody. Uh, it's over on Facebook, by the way. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. Uh, slash live. That's the easiest way to get there. Facebook slash Michael Duke Show slash live. Uh, or you can find us on YouTube and on Twitch as well. Come on in and uh, be part of it. We'll continue the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this.
We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Uh, you like tribe better? Did I say crew? The tribe? It is the tribe. <sighs> okay. Just checking my shoulders there. Uh, $1.2 million. Um, it is to set up an office to handle the project. There has to be a project developed to cut down the trees. And then Alaska would be paid to not cut down the trees. Okay, so explain. Wait a second. Explain this to me. So first, we have to decide to cut down the trees and set up a thing and hire people and everything else to cut down the trees. And then we stop and they pay us to stop. And so you got people on the payroll hanging out there that are supposed to be cutting down trees and now they're getting paid to not cut down the trees. Is that what you're saying? Am I getting that right? Am I do I have the gist of that? I mean, I'm just asking. Is is that what is that how that is working? I mean, <laughs> Oh man. Um Let me let me, let me go back up here. Uh, no critic here, MD. The whole thing seems like uh, unicorn farts to my mind. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, the way I had read into it was, like I said, they just kind of protected those areas and they leased them to you and you could, they were there in perpetuity. Uh, and that's how you could offset the carbon. But no, you've got to create a program to cut the trees down and then stop the program and get paid to not, that is What the? F I mean, what the actual hell is going on here? Um. All right. <laughs> I I I just don't even. I don't even know. Just don't even know. <laughs> go read the piece that you posted in the Common Sense Core. Brian says I'll have to go read the piece. Brian, I was, I was incommunicado all weekend. I had my damn phone turned almost, I think I turned it off. In fact, I left it at one part of the house at one point. I couldn't find it because I was like, no, walking away from that. Um, voodoo economics. <clears throat> you have to have, okay, so that's uh, it. And, and I, yeah, we'll have Rob explain this a little bit better. You have to have a forest management program to do the tree bill. We don't yet. So we got to spend $1.2 million to create a forest management program. wonder if they need a PR person for that. Maybe I should apply. I mean, Brian says, I think it works like reverse mortgages. Yeah. Follow the money. You got to pay the, you got to pay the hucksters up front. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. Um, <clears throat> $1.2 million to get the program rolling. Um, 
we do not need Juno. We need a financial manager and a planner. You know, someone who knows how to manage a checkbook, says Rick. Well, that's why we had Donna Ardwin down there to try and help us with that. And she immediately got run out of town on a rail because they're like, oh, my God, she might actually expose us for what we're doing here. Get her out of here. Oh, man. Um, the more I find out about this, says Hawk, the more scammy it sounds. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, this all smells like Folgers. Okay. Uh, let's start a logging program and then actually have a logging program, says Jennifer. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You're going to start a forestry management program, which Alaskans, many Alaskans have been calling for for years. We should have some kind of logging program and then immediately start taking money to shut it down after we've got it. I mean, it just. We have to create a government program to then pay money to stop the government program. I mean, this sounds like farm subsidies all over again, does it not? I mean, does this, this not sound like a horrible idea? I mean, I'm asking for a friend. It just sounds like a horrible idea. Makes no sense whatsoever, as far as that goes. I just, I, I don't even know what to say. <sighs> okay. What else you guys got? Anything else? When is the sales tax going into effect? I don't know. Um... I don't know is we're actually going to have a sales tax. It'll be interesting to see what they say, but uh, I'm not, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think it's good. You know, you got Lise Galvin, she's got the income tax, and then you have Ben Carpenter's a sales tax. All the people in the Senate don't seem to want to have a tax. They just, well, except for the dividend tax. That's, they definitely, they definitely want that. They want the dividend tax, but I don't think it's going anywhere else from there. We'll have to. We'll have to see, I guess, uh, as we continue. Okay, one final segment of Hour 1. Senator Rob Myers is going to be joining us in Hour 2, so we'll be getting to him here shortly, talking with him. Meanwhile, um, working our way through some of the stories that are coming out here. I'm still scratching my head. So apparently, um, and we'll be asking Rob Myers about this uh, later on in the program because he commented in the chat room as I was going back and reviewing some of the comments that apparently what you have to have is you have to have a forest management program if you want to have a carbon management, if you want to have a carbon offset program. You already have to have a forest management program, and we don't have one, which, again, seems a little weird. Kevin McCabe makes a comment about we only made a million dollars on our trees last year, and we spent $50 million trying to fight forest fires. So it just seems like, you know, that's part of the thing. But so, again, line. this is so typically government. We're going to create a plan 
and create a department and create a, a forest management program, and then we're going to pay ourselves not to do it. I mean, does that make any sense? Does that make any any sense whatsoever? I mean, this is Alaska. I mean, where a million acre forest fire is not unheard of. And because we're not managing the forest properly. <laughs> because there's a lot of forests, right? I mean, we're one third the size of the United States. And we got a lot of land that you can't even get to. I I just don't know. The more I hear about this, the more I just think, oof, somebody's got sold a bill of goods somewhere on this. I don't know what it is, but it just seems like. <sighs> and, of course, this whole thing is about the revenues and everything else. And, and the House and the Senate are so far apart right now uh, that I just I don't even know. I don't even know what what is going to happen, um, but I can tell you that uh, that uh, <laughs> I can tell you that Bert Stedman's got no love for you. The House is set to continue its debate on advancing the operating budget today, after progress stalled last week due to the disagreements over the uh, two legislators, uh, two chambers spending plans. Um, Sean McGuire at the ADN has got an article on this. The uh, House's plan has a dividend that is $2,700. And on top of that, they've got a $175 million one-time boost to public schools outside the BSA. That would cost roughly uh, $600 million that they would have to pull from the CBR, the Constitutional Budget Reserve. The Senate's plan shows a $1,300 dividend and a $1,000 permanent increase to the BSA, which would be $257 million a year every year going forward. So remember how we talked about the size and scope of government was like, you know, if you did nothing else, it would increase by 100 to $150 million every year. Well, this would be a $257 million increase that, you know, oof. The uh, bipartisan Senate Majority Caucus has wanted to craft a budget without needing to draw from the CBR. So, I mean, that's because they don't want to give the minority any any minority a chance to to do anything about this. Um, Kathy Tilton uh, has said on Friday that the plan is to advance the operating budget to the Senate when the House next convenes this morning. And uh, they... <laughs> You know, they want to get something over there. The problem is, is that they didn't want to give the Senate um, the bill too early because the Senate could have then taken their bill and combined them both and had greater power to dictate the terms of the legislature's final spending plan. So they didn't want to give them too much time with it. So, again, time compression as a weapon. That's, you know, I guess that's a two way street. Sometimes it could be used for ill, sometimes for gain. Um. And, uh, but this is the two sides. The two sides is no soup for you. You get a $1,300 dividend and you'll be happy about it, you peasants. In fact, this was Bert Stedman's comment. There's, this is so classic. After a sharp drop in oil revenue projections last month, Sitka Republican Bert Stedman said there was simply not enough state funds available to pay for the House's dividend a school funding increase, and a larger capital budget to capture federal infrastructure. Just wasn't enough 
to spend on all those things. And here's what his comment was. I think there's some new members that are surprised and maybe even a little shocked that there isn't a revenue stream to back up their election rhetoric. Wow. What a douche. Uh, I'm sorry. That just, you know, I mean, just the snarkiness of that. That I mean, that he, you know, you know, he's had disdain for everybody forever. But I mean, that just. That was just BS. Yes, I know, Bert. I'm sorry. That's just, but that's just how Bert is, right? Just the snarky, and you know, this is the same guy, by the way, that was holding all of the Matsu hostage over the most dangerous road in the state. That was just BS. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, you were holding these things hostage and deciding, won't letting people vote, and you're holding the KGB out there, and you're doing all this. Oh, God. Well, anyway, so we're going to see what happens here. Uh, the House and the Senate obviously typically pass different versions of the budget, and then they reconcile those differences in a negotiation in something called the conference committee so that a single budget can pass through both chambers. If the draw from savings, the three-quarters majority vote requirement from savings is included, the House will get another chance to approve that. So I don't know if they're going to get a chance to do the three-quarter draw or not. I I don't know. I mean, is the sweep and reverse sweep going to be part of it? I, I believe so, but we'll have to see how they handle it. I mean, it's been so weird lately. Uh, the Senate also, by the way, has legislation that would establish a new dividend formula, 75-25. Which, by the way, is the $1,300 that they're talking about. So that the state gets 75% and you get 25%, you miserable, filthy peasants. That's all you get, 25%. After the state's taken everything else, that's all you get, 25%. And you will be happy with it until they cut it back again next year. Because it's only in statute, right? So they could just say, well, we were going to give you 25%, but, you know, oil has dropped again, and we've got, we got bills to pay. We got programs to enact. And so, you know, you don't really need that 25%, right? It's not really anything at this point. We'll just take it all. Filthy, filthy peasants. I mean, oh, God, that is the thing. Yep, you are, that's the, you know, that's where we're going. But the House is supposed to pass their version of the bill today. It'll probably have the CBR draw in it, I imagine. I don't see them giving up on that right now. And I guess we'll see, I guess we'll see what that means for the Senate side. They're going to try and cut it out. I guarantee you. They do not want to get that. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see. We're going to get the full scoop as well, as much as the full scoop as we can from Senator Rob Meyer. He's going to be joining us. Uh, he's going to be joining us now uh, in just a few moments, moments. And we'll talk with him about what he sees in this hot, hot, hot hot mess that is the legislature oh yeah that was just bs it is the michael duke show
Common Sense Radio. the snarkiness of that man i mean just the i read that and i actually had to go back and read that again i was like what what i think there's some i want to read this in like a hurston you know thurston howell the third kind of mm, yes i think there's some new members that are surprised and maybe even a little shocked that there isn't a revenue stream to back up their election rhetoric yes yes filthy peasants <laughs> you know the rhetoric was about bringing government in line on the spending and doing the things that you know it could be done it's just that you filthy elitists decided that you know better than we do how to spend all that money. Is there is there a link to it? Is there a link to the story in the ADN? Sure, why not? I'll 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 link you the story. It's about halfway down. You can read the quote. You <laughs> filthy, the election rhetoric. Can't. Be- Look at me, I'm in a three-piece suit with a vest. I know what I'm talking about. No. I don't even know. It's just like the douchiest thing to say. I mean, you know, and then mocking people, then deciding, well, you know, he really didn't need those that money. We're here to take care of you. Don't worry about it. We need that money to take care of you. You don't need the money to take care of you. We'll take care of you. It'll be fine. Trust us. We're from the government. We're here to help. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Uh, I suppose we should get on the stick here and get ready to talk to uh, our friend, Senator Rob Myers. Let's get it going on. What are you feeling? Homesick? You feeling sick for the? You had to wear the high speed. I can see you from here. <laughs> so bright. I know. I know. What were you just feeling? Uh, today, you feel a uh, today nice? is the start of uh, what is he? Work zone safety awareness week. And so I brought this with me. I'm gonna uh, make a few remarks on the floor about uh, you know watching watching out for people in construction zones and everything. I know. I know. It does not look like summer yet. But it will be there eventually, I promise. I think. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> tell me about it. Tell me that the tooth fairy is real too, um, <laughs> and that carbon sequ- and that carbon sequestration is going to make us a bunch of money. Tell me all those. Please tell me. Tell me a bedtime story here, Rob. <laughs> tell me a bedtime story. <laughs> God, you guys. I didn't even want to get out of bed this morning. That's where this is at right now. Um. Uh, all right. So. Uh, How's it going down there, my friend? You feel like I told Shower the other day, I feel like you guys are those kids who were, you know, you're all the poor kids who were outside the toy store where all the rich kids are inside browsing the things and you guys have got your 
tongue stuck up on the window, looking at all the good stuff, looking in. How how are you feeling? Well, you know, I was just talking to my wife about that last night, actually, and, and she was asking how things were going. And I said, well, you know, sometimes it's kind of like what you just described there, where you're you're on the outside looking in, kind of kind of wishing that uh, you had more of an active role. But then sometimes you're just kind of sitting back and watching the the craziness and and, you know, kind of watching some things melt down. And it's like, oh, I, you know, hey, I'm in the super minority. I have no input. I have no responsibility. I'm going to sit here and eat popcorn, too. So. You know, it, it kind of goes day to day. Right, right. Well, it's uh, it's it's interesting to watch and interesting to hear. Um, so I definitely want to um, uh, I definitely want to talk a little bit because you you seem to be more in the know. You and Kevin both. I I've not been paying attention to the carbon offset and carbon sequestration. Maybe you can give us a brief explanation of what all that entails. But to me. I mean, was my analysis off when I said this sounds a lot like farm subsidies where we're going to pay you not to do things? I mean, right? I mean, it just seems like a little bit. We didn't have the program, so we're going to create the program to then stop the program and then take money in from stopping the pro. What? I mean, that's uh, that's that's crazy. Well, it's not just about, and we can go get into this more on the air, but it's not just about you know whether or not you're cutting down the trees, but it's also whether or not. Uh, it's also what kind of a program you have for your forest fire management too, because, you know, uh, you know, our, our standard practice here in Alaska primarily has been, unless it gets close to a populated area, you know, we let the forest fires burn. Um, but the problem with that then is that the guys in the carbon, uh, sequestration side, they look at that and they go, or excuse me, carbon offset side, they look at that and they say, well, no, that doesn't count. It doesn't count to say, we're not going to log these trees. If you're just going to let them burn the next time there's a forest fire. So they want to know that you're actively managing forest fires and not to say you can't have a fire go through the area, but they want to know that you're going through there and, you know, clearing out the underbrush and, and things like that to make sure that the forest fires that do happen are small. They don't, you know, go up and completely scorch an area, you know, cause we've had those. Right. Right. Um, and, and so it's a lot of it boils down into to things like that. And then some of it boils down into what you're talking about as well with, with, you know, Hey, we're going to, you know, promise to cut down trees that we're not going to cut down to begin with, um, kind of situation. But, um, all right. You I know, there's, I don't want to get yeah. into this. I just, I don't want to repeat <laughs> myself. This is, uh, my head is already exploding on this. So, uh, all right. Well, let's hold the line here. Rob Myers is our guest. Uh, we're going to jump into this. Um, and, um, now we got 20 seconds. So we're, we're good to go. Folks, like and share the show, like and follow the show page. Uh, do all the good stuff. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty Base. Free Thinking Radio. back in its holster we haven't gone anywhere i don't understand check out the michael dukes for information on how to get access to the podcast welcome to the party pal the, the michael dukes show the greed and the entitlement is astounding to me what more could you want from a low budget radio program this is a dumpster fire. That was just BS.
It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. It's Monday, hour two of the uh, big radio show. We just finished up going through all the headlines and craziness and stuff that's going on. The race has begun 30 days remain on the legislative session. I mean, we're officially at the end, according to the statute, but, I mean, who cares about the law, right? So it's 121 days. We are at day 91, and we've got 30 days until the session constitutionally comes to an end. May the 17th, Monday at midnight is the last day. So now the, the, the relay race begins to reach the end. Uh, and we'll see what happens with that. But joining us this morning, uh, this is our two. Our guest is State Senator Rob Myers, who comes in to talk with us about uh, everything else that's uh, going on uh, in there. And uh, he joins us uh, right now. Good morning, Rob. Hey, it's a Monday, Michael. Here we go again. It's a, it's an, it's a just SSDD, my friend. SSDD. Um, so uh, we're ready to dive in. We've just been talking about the uh, carbon offset program, and you've been in the chat room, kind of filling in a few things. Because again, I'd be the first to admit that I don't know enough about this to. But uh, so explain this to me. So we're basically, and I've likened it to farm subsidies, where we're basically being paid not to do something. So the first thing we have to do is we have to create a, a, a division, a program, a something, so that then we can be paid not to do with that division or program or something we're supposed to. Am I reading this wrong? What the? Tell me what's going on here. There's a little bit of that involved there, um, but more so what's going on is they're, they're saying in order to we, – we had a couple of guys from British Columbia come up here and talk to us at the beginning of session about how this stuff works because they've been doing this down in that area for about 20 years or so. And we've actually got a couple of, of native corporations in the state that have been doing this for about 20 years. So it's not completely unheard of up here. It's just that the state hasn't gotten into it yet. But in order to do the um, carbon offset bill, the, the you know kind of the, the colloquial term around here is the tree bill. Um, what you have to do is you have to have a program that talks about how you manage your forests. And some of that has to do with logging, uh, but then some of that has to do with just maintaining the health of the forest in general and talk about forest fires and, and things like that. And because, you know, for the, the vast majority of, of Alaska, um, unless it gets close to a, a populated area, if there's a forest fire, we let it burn. And for the health of the forest, that's usually the smartest thing to do anyway. So that's fine. Right. But, you know, these guys aren't going to want to put down a 75 year contract on uh, protect these trees and don't let them release any carbon. If we're just going to let it burn, you know, in five years when uh, the next lightning strike hits in that area. And they, they have some stuff that they build into the contracts, recognizing that these things happen. You need a certain amount of fire to maintain the health of the forest, especially up here. Uh, the way that the black spruce work and things like that. Um, so that's already to some extent built into the contract when you write it, uh, but they don't want the whole thing to burn down because then they're paying for nothing. 
And so, you know, the problem that we have up here is that we don't have that kind of a forest management system. You have to, for example, have ground access uh, most of the time when you write these contracts. And we don't, you know, uh, you don't have a road going into these forests. Right. And they want um, they want you to be do things like, you know, lane clearing, brush clearing, do all, all the undergrowth and things like I mean, my first question is, I mean, we're all these all these people must have been raised outside and they must think that Alaska is this little island off to the side of the United States that's smaller than Texas or something. Do they not realize that Alaska is one third the size of the continental United States in landmass and there are no roads to go clear out all this undergrowth and all that? I mean, is, is this just like, hello? I mean, hello? Right. No, I mean, you know, the, the, the guys that we've heard talk, you know, there. It seems like you know most of these contracts up until now, you know, have been based in states like Montana or Michigan or something like that, where yeah, they've got a lot of forest and and they're used to forest management, but you know they've been logging in these areas for 150 years or or what have you, and so they've already got all of this infrastructure and bureaucracy and stuff already set up. You know, one thing that that you know went through my head is is at the beginning of session we had those two guys from BC. Um, I don't know the last time you drove the Kaziar Highway um, down there through through BC, um, but it, it's interesting to drive through there and look at the the signs on the side of the road in the areas where they've been logging because it'll say things like this area logged in 1995, replanted 1997, thinned out uh, 2011, you know something like this, and it's like yeah we don't do that here, and. Uh, you know, it's like, so, you know, we're sitting here going, okay, we're going to have to set up some of this stuff. And kind of what I'm looking at is, you know, if we do it right, it might actually help us in, in the long run outside of the carbon uh, offset stuff, because it might actually give us the cash that we need to help us manage our forests better to set up these programs that will help us with logging programs in the future, or that will help us better manage the forest fires, things like that. But it's a little bit of a chicken and egg issue. It's a, a little bit of, um, you know, do, is, is this the road that we want to go down? And, you know, and, and also recognizing that, oh, okay, are we going to make some money on, off of this? We could, but we're going to have to spend some money in the process. This isn't just, you know, sit back and watch the gravy roll in. Right. Well, I mean, I mean correct me if I'm wrong. Uh didn't the governor say that this could generate upwards of all these carbon programs, Jeff, upward of six hundred million dollars? Isn't that kind of the? Isn't that what we were told? I'm just. It, it I'm, was. It was something like that at the beginning of session, yeah. yeah. And I think they've backed off from that. Um, you know, my my theory on this since the beginning has been, it's a sound. It's sound in concept, but I don't see us getting there in, in those dollar figures for a decade or two. Um, and, and stuff. I think there's a little bit more potential on the other bill, on the, the carbon sequestration bill. Um, I was talking to Tom McKay and a couple other guys that know some more about the oil industry, and they're like, yeah, we kind of already do this. This is just going to up the scale, and they've already got most of the equipment that you need for it, and it's probably going to be the, the way that all of the, the ESG stuff with the banks and everything is going. Um, it's probably going to be the only way that we're ever going to get a gas line built um, is, is to do the 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 drill bill. I think that's the the colloquial term around here. You got the drill bill and the tree bill. Um, 
but uh, you know, I think that one's got a little bit more, um, a little bit more uh, promise to it uh, for right now for what we've already got set up, ready to go. So, so that that, that so apparently that would have to be the lion's share because this one's only going to make eighty million dollars over ten years, which yeah, I mean. That's a drop in the it's eight million bucks a year. I mean, come on. We're talking about an eight billion dollar budget and you're talking about making eight million bucks a year. That's not a well, you know I mean when they first when they first brought this concept up, it was during a fiscal plan working group, you know, almost two years ago now. And yeah, when they brought it up in there, they said, Yeah, ten to twenty million. And we're like, Oh, well, I mean, it's something, but you know, it's you're not gonna be, you know, raking in money hand over fist on that. So, I mean, hey, it's it's something I don't necessarily disagree with it in terms of the framework. I just don't it's it's not going to save our budget anytime in the near future. Right. Which I guess I guess that's what bugs me is that it was kind of sold. Over. Here's my budget. It's five hundred million dollars short. But don't worry, I've got this this carbon thing and that'll make some money. Right. And I looked at it and said, a great idea, except for how long is it going to take to spin that up? Uh, I mean, the sequestration side, what kind of time frame are they talking about on that? I have heard less uh, about that one. Um, I that one hasn't quite quite generated as much um, press, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, it seems to be a little bit easier to implement, um, but uh, a lot of it's going to depend on um, kind of the tech for the uh, for pulling the carbon out of the air. Um, you know, once they get it out of the air, then they can inject it into the ground without too much trouble. We've been injecting seawater and, and a bunch of other stuff into the ground to help us with our oil recovery for, for decades. Um, but it's it, there, I think some of the carbon capture side, um, some of the tech is still, you know, pretty, pretty in the infant stage. Um, so we're, we're kind of halfway there, but a lot of that stuff, you know, that's not dependent on what we do here. That's dependent on something from, from outside. So right, we're still right. waiting a little bit. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for giving us a little bit of an insight into that, because, again, I, I just look at it and I'm, I'm shaking my head right now. So we've got the battles of the budgets going on, right? we got the House budget. we got the Senate budget. Uh, the House budget has got a substantial dividend. It's not it's not the full dividend. It is the 50-50 dividend. Um, but the Senate side, boy, they just seem hell-bent for leather that no matter what, we just, you filthy peasants don't understand that we just can't afford to give you your money. We have to keep some of that stuff. I mean, it's not really your money. It's our money, but we know better than you. So it's all, I mean, I'm again, a little hyperbole there, but you know, look, this is what's going on. The Senate is just bound and determined that they're going to give us a 25% dividend, $1,300, and that they're going to increase the BSA by a thousand permanently. $1,000 permanently, which is 200 and almost 260 million bucks a year, every year moving forward until the end of time. Um, what, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What's the discussions on the house side that you're, uh, that you're talking about? Well, I, there's kind of two different discussions going on. Uh, the bigger one, the more, more obvious one is about operating budget, capital budget. Uh, the house doesn't want to get rolled as has happened a few times in the last few years where you send the operating budget over and the uh, Senate takes it and they take the operating budget and they do what they want to it. And then they shove the capital budget into it and then send that back over and say, this is all you're getting. 
And so you never, you know, house finance and house floor never really got a crack at the capital budget. It's just a, a yay or nay, up or down, um, and you have no, no input, really. Um, and so there's a little bit of a trust issue there. You know, I, I saw the, the article that they're going to, um, that you were mentioning earlier in the ADN that the House is, is talking about putting the budget on the floor today to debate it and, and vote on it. Um, so maybe they've worked through some of those trust issues. I don't know. Um, and then the other conversation that's that's going on is about long-term fiscal plan. And you got some people saying, you know, mostly on the House side, but, you know, me and Mike and Shelly and, you know, we, we agree with them that, you know, what, why are you trying to pass a budget when you don't have a fiscal plan? When we, when we already know where this thing is kind of sliding to, and it's not pretty, when you know that, you know, we're trying to spend money so fast that the dividend will be gone in 2028, and then uh, we'll have a tax on top of that, you know, why aren't we talking fiscal plan before we talk budget? Um, you know, it, every year that I've been here, I've heard somebody, at least one person make the comment that, well, according to the Constitution, the only thing that we have to do is pass the budget. And technically speaking, that's correct. But um, how do you pass a budget without the context of a fiscal plan that it, that it fits in? How do you pass a budget right. without that that long term framework? You know, we, we go ahead and, you know, there's a, a part in statute that requires the governor to put out a, a 10 year fiscal plan every year when he puts out his budget. Because, hey, you should be putting this stuff into a, a long-term uh, look, a long-term vision. Why is it that we require the governor to do that, but we don't want to do that? And what's, um, a, and what's the reaction from your fellow senators? I mean, it seems like right now, like you said, the majority of the push on this idea of creating a long-term fiscal plan is only in the House. It seems like none of the majority in the Senate is talking about long. They're just talking about now, 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 defined benefits, BSA. We need those increases now. No ideas of, well, what does this cost us in the future? What does this do to a long-term fiscal situation? What does this do to all these things? I mean, is there any interest at all from the Senate majority in creating some kind of sustainable plan for the future? I, I, you got it. You've got a couple of people that are interested in at least parts of it. Uh, for example, James Kaufman has his spending cap out there. He had a hearing on that uh, a couple of weeks ago in Senate Judiciary. Let's just say it didn't go well for him, um, or or for his bill, I should say. Um, the the committee sounded pretty dead set against it. Um, by and large, though, you know, I think that it, the the Senate majority thinks that uh, a fiscal plan means taking the dividend and upping oil taxes. Um, and that's not a universal view. Um, honestly, if you put that oil tax bill on the floor right now, I'm not sure it would have 11 votes to pass. Um, and honestly, with the PFD bill, I'm not sure if it had 11 votes to pass if you put it on the floor right now. Um, the 7525 you know, bills, what you're talking about. Right, right. Um, and that's that's because you've got certain member, you've got a few members of the majority that, you know, still believe in the in the statutory dividend, but you've also got a few members of the majority that think that that's not good enough. So <laughs> the 25, <laughs> that leaving us with 25 is just too much. We really need 95.99. Yeah. yeah. And so you've got, you know, but, but I mean, the, the overall view is Mike Shower's right. You've got kind of this tax and spend mentality going through the, the majority and 
So no, they don't want a long-term fiscal plan because that's just one thing that's going to get in their way. Yeah, get in their way of spending because they know better than you how all that money should be spent. We got to go. We're going to be back with more. Rob Myers is our guest. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Just love the look on legislators' faces when I play that liner. Um, Because it's so true. Uh, (laughs) It's only funny because it's true. Uh, Rob, Rob Myers is our guest. Um, I can't believe that there are actually legislators out there who are like, 75-25, that's not enough. I mean, we just, I mean, what are they pushing for? Are they just pushing for the elimination of the whole dividend? Is that, I mean, kind of what, they want to give you a $100 bill and say, good luck, suckers? I mean, is that, I mean, is that where we're at right now? I think it's more a case of they just don't want to have something in statute that they're supposed to be held to, you know, and it's it's easy enough for them to say, oh, well, we can't stick by the current statute because, you know, we haven't done that for years. So that's kind of a no brainer. But for us to vote for something, uh, then that kind of means, oh, well, we should at least, you know, like try to stick to it for the next three or four years, maybe. And they don't want to do that. They want to just have it out there as floating and. They don't really care about the dividend Um, and it's, you know, they don't understand how important it is to the private economy. They don't understand how uh, the dividend fits into the the state's finances and and how it connects people to our resources and how it, you know, I mean, they they, maybe they, I think they understand how it limits government and that's why they don't care for it. Um, But, you know, it's, it's not it's not important to them. It's what is important is, is the government being able to have the flexibility to spend every dollar as fast as it comes through their hands. Wait, we have a spending problem in this state. I didn't realize that was part of the issue. Uh, sorry. I thought it was just a revenue problem. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. Uh, we're, we're just going to, uh, let's change gears because we're in the break and we don't want to repeat ourselves. So I don't want to ask all the good questions right now. Uh, let me just ask the slice of life question. Jeez, I guess I heard that you uh, you are quite the culinary uh, epicurean. Like you do, I've seen all your meal prep and stuff. You, I mean, you are you going to put out a cookbook? That's what I want to know. Is it going to be the Rob Myers legislative cookbook? You know, cooking the books while we're cooking our dinner. I mean, what are we? What are we? What? I mean, you 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 got like the. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen it all. Tell me, uh, tell me about your cooking uh, down there. Do you do the cooking at home too, or is this uh, just your thing while you're down there in Juneau? No, I don't cook a whole lot at home. I enjoy cooking, um, but uh, you know, when I when I get back to to regular life, you know, I'm doing eighty hour weeks or whatever, and and so no, I you know, I'm I'm not even home every other night basically with my current job and. So, uh, no, unfortunately, I don't do a whole lot of cooking at home. Every once in a while, you know, for my wife's birthday or something like that, you know, I'll get get something up up there and go, all right, honey, here's what I need from the store and I'll make you dinner kind of thing. But it's it's not very often um, down here, though. 
um, I mean, I always make sure that I get myself a place with a kitchenette. You know, some guys, you know, come down here and they try to, you know, be real cheap and, and just get themselves a room. But I'm like, no, I need to cook um, partly because it's something I enjoy and partly because honestly, going out to eat gets old after a while. And yeah. Juno's relatively small and the restaurant choices are relatively few and far between. Um, so, you know, I, I, I go out every once in a while, but you know, I, I just get, get, you get sick of hitting the same six or eight restaurants in a row after a while. So, um, right. I, I, I prefer eating at home. Yeah, no, it's, it's always entertaining. I'm always interested as the next thing you post is, uh, you know, my shredded roast or whatever it was you were doing the other, you're always doing something. It's always fun. So it's, uh, it's meal prep. Uh, so David says, is Rob inviting us all over for dinner? No, not really, but it would be, it looks like it's delicious. It looks delicious. So that's, uh, that's all good. Uh, TikTok is calling. Maybe you should do that. Maybe you should do TikToks live from the Capitol and you should call it cooking the books and cooking dinner at the same time. Um, all for the Chinese. Yeah, exactly. All for the Chinese. All right. Uh, we're coming up on it here. We're jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Rob Myers is our guest. Uh, wait, you can't believe that legislators, there are legislators who want to take the whole PFD. Who are you and what have you done with Michael Dukes? I'm sorry. That was my sarcasm font was way too strong. I'm sorry this morning. Let me turn that sarcasm font off. All right, Rob Myers, our guest. Let's get to it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Now. Public anima number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke Show. What? I mean, yeah, what? I... I'm a pain in the, I admit it, fully, fully admit it. Senator Rob Myers is our guest. We continue now here on the Michael Duke Show, uh, our discussions on everything else. I mean, people in the chat room are just shocked. Shocked, I tell you, that I was shocked that there is just a spending problem in Juneau. Um, Rob, uh, how many years you been down there now? Is this five? Is this? Uh, this is year number three. Three, sorry, three. Uh, that's right, Senate side, sorry, the Senate side. Um. Are you shocked by the the whole spending mentality that goes on down there? I mean, are you do you look at this and just go how how can you be what what is your what is your reaction? Your honest blue collar worker reaction to all this cuz you're again, you're not some CEO of some company or living on some retirement or whatever. You're a truck driver. You look come down there and you look at this, you know, you've got your household budget and you look at what's going on down there. What is your overall reaction on this? I'm, I mean, it's, it's one of these things of, you know, you hear about something else that we want to do to spend money. And it's not like shock, like eyebrows raised. It's more like shock, like, oh, here we go again. And, you know, you kind of expect it to some extent with government in general. I mean, like you watch the borough and you go, oh, okay, for about 11 months of the year, you know, people are coming to the borough and saying, okay, we need to spend money on X. And then you have that one month a year where they're actually debating the budget, they're debating the mill rate, and things like that. And, and then there's that, you know, that portion of the year, uh, what was that back in March or something, when we all get our, our assessments from the, the borough that say, you know, about what uh, your property values are and stuff. And, and those times, then everybody gets up in arms and they go, oh, whoa, 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 stop the gravy train here, buddy. Um, 
but you know, we we don't have that that pushback right now, um, and and we haven't for a long time. It's it's always been oh well, we we need more money. Well, let's let's just you know let's soak the oil companies for something else, um, or or you know let's soak the tourists for something else, or let's soak something from somebody from out of state because we don't want to pay for it. Um, but you know, we we always need money. And I guess what's more shocking to me is that there are so many people down here in Juneau that forget that not everybody works for government. That that you know the the majority of us out in Alaska, in the rest of Alaska, you know, we have a day job that that is actually out in the private economy trying to actually produce something. You know, whether we're drilling oil out of the ground or we're pulling gold out of the ground or you know, you're you're a mechanic or you run a restaurant or something and, and they forget that all of those other professions exist outside of local, state and federal employment. And, right. you know, my you know, my my, my uh, theory, you know, in down here, what I've tried to, to talk about, kind of like Ben Carpenter's talking about is to say, look, what we do in this building, in this capital with our budget, it affects things outside of of this place and we can't just fix our budget and destroy the private economy in the process you have to fix both and and you can't be ignoring what's going on out there i think it's interesting <clears throat> i still remember tammy wilson i don't know if i've asked you this question i may have and i apologize if i have before but i remember talking with tammy wilson right before she left the legislature and i said of all the years that you've been in the legislature i think she was in there for 12 or 13 years and I said, how many times did you see the average Alaskan come in and say, you know, come into your office, say, we don't need this bill. We don't need this. We don't need that. Versus, you know, how many people were coming in with their handout? And she said that in the 12 years that she was down there, she could probably count on one hand, maybe a little more. The number of times the average Joe citizen just showed up at her, at her office in Juneau to talk about something. But she said five, six, eight times a day, people coming into her office saying with their handout saying, we need money for something. Is that accurate? I mean, have you, I know you've only been there a much shorter time, but is that what you've seen down there? That the, right. that the handout is much more often there than the actual average citizen? I, I mean, I, th I think that's accurate. Um, you know, so my, it's kind of screwed up because my first year down here, the building was closed because of COVID and all that. Um, so you know, it wasn't, it wasn't people filing through my office. It was, you know, zoom meetings, but yeah, pretty much it was all people asking for things, you know, add money to this, don't cut this, uh, things like that. Uh, my second year, I think I had two people come to my office that were not affiliated with the group and say here, you know, here, I'm just your average constituent and here's what I'm asking for. Right. Um, and then this year, um, I, I really haven't had that. I guess the closest you got to that was when the group for Americans for Prosperity came through because um, they had uh, three or four of my constituents with them um, saying, you know, because they were they were campaigning primarily against the defined benefit bill and against the um, uh, the BSA increase. Um, but that's pretty much been it. Uh, otherwise, it's all people floating through here saying, well, we need more money for X. Right. And and has any and has any one of those people that comes out comes through there with their handout has any one of them had an actual plan to how to pay for it? Uh, not really. No. Uh, you know, I I I remember 
saying that to, I had some folks from the school district here, oh, late February or something like that. And, and they said, yeah, we need more money. And, and uh, here, here's, here's what the problems that we're facing back in the school, you know, we, we can't hire people, you know, the, the school's falling apart, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, yeah, no, I, I get that. But, you know, we're, we're in a period of declining oil prices. So how do you pay for it? And immediately they said, well, you know, you got that fat, that fat dividend out there. You don't have to pay that out. I'm going, hey, okay, here we go again. All right. What's your plan once that's gone? Yeah, exactly. That's a short term. That's the short term uh, self-licking ice cream cone. All of a sudden it's gone. You're like, wait, what do we do now? What do we do now? Um, all right, Rob, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the feeling in the building, I guess on your side of the chamber there, uh, overall the budgets, what are, what are we expecting to see here? I mean, we're, the house is about to pass the budget over to the Senate. Uh, Uh, it'll probably happen this week may happen today may, but I'm sure it'll probably happen this week. Um, and what is, what are you hearing from, you know, in the halls, your fellow senators, uh, when they see that, are they, is that a non-starter, uh, I guess is what I'm asking. Is that budget just a non-starter because it has a too big a dividend and it doesn't have enough for the schools and it doesn't have this and that? What what do you think is going to happen as we get back to the conference committee and things like that take place? Give us give us your hot take on this. Well, I mean, it's it. I, I think that, you know, uh, by and large, you're correct there. The Senate wants to spend more than the House does. The House uh, is, is the House for the most part, uh, is full of uh, pro-dividend folks. You know, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised when they had that amendment on the House floor to, to cut the dividend down to a, a $1,300, and I think it failed like 28 to 12 or something like that. Um, so that was that was kind of a surprise, uh, a pleasant one for once. Um, but on the Senate side, yeah, you've got a lot fewer people that are interested in the dividend. You have more people that want more money. The fun part is the few folks that, both want more money for schools and other things and want a higher dividend. Um, and so that's driving some of the tax discussion over here with the oil taxes and things like that. Um, and, and so I think you're going to see some of that. The interesting part is going to be what happens once it gets out of Senate finance, because, you know, we, we kind of know what's going to happen in Senate finance. We, we know the, we know most of the players there, um, you know, they've been around the block. We know what their views are. And so, you know, we've got a, a general clue as to, excuse me, to what's going to happen there. But uh, the fun part is going to be what happens when it hits the Senate floor, because, you know, I've heard uh, there's there, you know, every now and then you hear somebody out here saying, oh, yeah, we're, we've got enough people here. We're going to roll Senate finance. We're going to we're going to roll Bert Stedman, basically. And we're going to shove this budget full of a whole bunch of spending. Not really specifics on what it is necessarily. Could be more money for schools, could be more money in the capital budget. I, right. I don't know. Right. Um but that's kind of that's that's been some of the talk around here. And so and part of that is due, I'm, of course, to the makeup of the bipartisan majority. They've got more Democrats at this point than anything else. And I mean, they could right. potentially I mean, the numbers theoretically are there to make something like that happen. Right. Right. And and, uh, you know, and then you've got a few Republicans that tend to be on the pro spend side as well that are part of that majority. Um, you got you got a couple that aren't, um, you know, James Kaufman, David Wilson. Uh, you know, have generally been, you know, more hawkish when it comes to the budget. Um, but they, you know, they're they're definitely a minority within their caucus. And so I'm kind of waiting to see what happens. You know, they, they have a binding caucus on that side. But the question is, 
how well is that going to hold if my majority members start putting up a bunch of amendments to start adding a bunch of money to the budget is is that binding caucus going to hold or is their caucus going to blow up kind of like our caucus did two years ago i i don't know um at, at this point it's uh it's interesting they were so dead set on sidelining you guys uh you and shower and hughes um and uh, again, it wasn't punitive, but it, it could appear punitive, right? That's what the percent of president said. I mean, it's not really punitive, but it could appear punitive. Uh, it could be interesting in the end if you are the ones that have to come in and try and swoop in and save some of this stuff. Um, that that would be interesting. And then that could put you in a unique position to potentially, uh, you know, get some of these changes in there. I, I mean, I just, I just don't know. I, when I looked at the makeup of the legislature before it got started, and when I saw what was happening with the majority, I realized that this is going to be a year of pain, that this was going to be the year that <clears throat> the Senate could potentially blow the state budget so far out of proportion that there was no coming back from it. Am I being too pessimistic? Maybe a little bit, because, again, it's not just up to the Senate. It's also up to the House and, and right. you know, how that these things go in the conference committee. And, I mean, to be perfectly blunt, uh, you know, as, as much as some people, you know, we, we may disagree with Bert Stedman on some things. He, he wants to keep the budget to some extent under control. And the interesting part, uh, if you start watching some of these discussions around here is, uh, you've got Bert Stedman and me and Mike and Shelley on, you know, the same side of the debate on, on a lot of the spending type stuff. You had a, a, a hearing in Senate finance, uh, last week on the BSA bill, and he was specifically saying, um, "Well, how do you how do you pay for this?" And you know they they make their cases to how bad it is, how much they need more money, and he says, "Well, this is the finance committee. How do you pay for it?" It's like, well, yes, and they're a little bit dumbfounded. They're just kind of going, "Well, it's priorities, and education should be a priority, and things like that." So you know it. It, it's it's very interesting to me watching that makeup of the Senate because so much of the makeup of that majority is is out there, not because they necessarily agree on certain things, you know, and they have a, a common vision or anything like that. It's because they so much hate a couple of us and uh, and and they're and and they they kind of hate the dividend and, and things like that. And so, you know, how how much can you stick together uh, on on things until your internal divisions rip things apart um and and i think that when we have the budget battle on the floor it's really going to be very revealing um and to you know kind of going back to what we we uh, mentioned at the very beginning about how things are going down here in general is you know i as a member of the super minority i can kind of sit back and watch and i realize that you know i'm going to get outvoted on on pretty much everything so I, you know, to, to go with the Roger Holland quote, why would we want to be, uh, you know, why would we want to have responsibility for this, this mess? Right. Um, and so I can sit back and eat a little popcorn knowing, you know, roughly what's going to happen, not necessarily knowing the details, um, but that's kind of the position I'm in. It's going to be interesting to watch. We'll get into some of the timing of this and uh, what to expect here in the next uh, week or so. Uh, when we continue, Rob Myers is our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more after this.
running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Rob Myers uh, continues with us right now uh, on the Michael Duke Show. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the timing of this and when you expect some of these things to hit and uh, some of the other stuff. Um, you, you mentioned a couple times the oil taxes. Uh, you know, I think that there needs to be uh, some discussion on some of this. Uh, even Brad Keithley, who's a, uh, obviously an oil uh, and gas guy uh, coming from that industry, has said that there's still some money left on the table, four or five hundred million dollars. <coughs> and of course, we got the Hill Corp thing and some other things that are coming on. Is there any of those things that you uh, think make sense? I mean, we you know we need to be able to get. We have a finite resource. We need to be able to get the maximum amount that we can while still encouraging investment. So, what where do you where do you sit on some of those things? So the oil taxes are kind of a funny one for me. Um, the they 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 put out a, a new committee substitute for the oil tax bill a couple of, uh, was that Thursday or something like that? And they got rid of the ring fencing part, which basically was about, you can use your, your um, capital, basically it boils down to, you can use your capital expenditures in one field to offset your tax in another field. And that one doesn't really make a lot of sense in the long run because basically it's the state's going to get the same amount of money in the long run. It's just, do they get it now or do they get it later? Well, it's probably better to get it later because then you let companies bootstrap themselves up to, to build new projects along the way. The other two pieces, um, you've got the, uh, the piece of dropping the per barrel tax credit down from $8 to $5. I can kind of see that one if, it's in the context of a full fiscal plan. If all we're going to do is just do that by itself and increase taxes on the oil company, I'm not in favor of it because to me, that's kind of like giving a beer to the drunk to get rid of the hangover. You know, we have been and drunk on, on oil money for so stinking long that we're just going to give the legislature more money and, you know, set them loose. And that doesn't make any sense to me. The other part with the Hill Court piece, I get more worried about because the way that they have chosen to address that is they said, oh, well, we're just going to start taxing S-Corps. And it says, well, we're, we're gonna, not going to tax an S-Corp or an LLC unless it makes over $4 million a year you know, to, to limit it to, oh, we're just trying to go after the big guys. Right. But I look at that and I go, well, how long until that goes from a $4 million limit to a $1 million limit? And how long till it goes from a $1 million limit to a quarter of a million dollar limit? And now you're going after mom and pops around the state that are just trying to run a business. Right. And so opening up a whole new class of businesses to a corporate income tax very much concerns me. I, um, uh, I believe, again, that there is some money left on the table. And I agree with you that giving the legislature more money, just, you know, carte blanche in and of itself is probably not a good idea. This is why a spending limit is so important, right? I mean, this is why that's really got to be the cornerstone of of any kind of fiscal plan. It's obviously being talked about in the House, but the Senate well, they don't want any kind of restriction. You talked about that a couple times already. They don't want to have anybody intercede or stand in their way of doing what they think is right at this point. 
Right. You know, like, like I said, you know, uh, James Kaufman's got the spending cap and he had a hearing on it in Senate Judiciary uh, not quite two weeks ago now. Um, and I, I sat back and I, I watched the, uh, the video from that hearing over the weekend um, and it did not go well. The, the committee was very much against uh, the, the concept of a spending cap. And I think that there are a few people that you can get on board with it if it's part of a, of a full package. But if you're talking about a spending cap by itself, you don't, you don't have anywhere close to the votes that you need for it. You're going to get seven, eight, maybe in the Senate side. And, you know, this constitutional thing, you need 14. Right. Well, uh, I mean, I think that's one of the things because that would be the only way by giving that would be the only way you would restore the dividends by offsetting these revenues that would come in. So, for example, if you did increase the oil taxes, those monies would then go back into other things and offset some of that dividend take. But only if you have a spending cap. And that's the problem is that legislators do not want to be constrained. I mean, it's just like the lunatics running the asylum. And why would you want to give Nurse Ratchet some keys at that point? You don't want to do that. I mean, they they like what they're doing. They, again, believe that they know better than us how that money should be spent. And they don't want any kind of shackles on them at all. Yeah, I mean, there's so many needs out there because, you know, as we were talking about earlier, there's always somebody coming through here that's got more of a need. Well, if there's a need, then we should be able to pay for it, right? And they don't want anything to slow them down. You know, you, you hear comments about, well, we need flexibility within the legislature. We should be able to decide what we what we spend every year. We shouldn't have this this limit imposed on us from outside. I'm like, yeah, yeah no. Yeah. It's a tough thing. All right. We're going to get back into the timing of it and discuss everything else. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. The Michael Duke Show. Like and share. Like and follow. Please. Uh, do all the things. Subscribe on YouTube. Please, could you subscribe on YouTube? Here we go. All right, one final segment here as we finish up. Rob Myers is our guest, The Michael Duke Show. So, Rob, um, you know, you're hearing things that there could be uh, some interesting stuff once the bills get on the floor, especially after the spending comes out of House Finance and everything else. Give us some timing here. What are we what are we looking at here over the next week? Are we going to start seeing some of these things happen? Is this bill going to hit the floor of the Senate uh, soon? You know, tell us, talk to us about the timing here. So uh, let's assume that the House is going to put the budget on the floor today and vote on it. Um, so it'll get sent over. Uh, it'll get assigned to Senate Finance on Wednesday. Um, and so, I mean, they've already been working on it. They already have kind of a general idea of what they're going to do, I'm sure. Um, you just have to now go through the official you know, the process to make it official. So we could probably see the budget on the Senate floor in maybe about two weeks, give or take uh, a couple of days um, would be my guess. Um, then you go through that process. We'll have our amendments, which will you know take a day or so. Um, and then uh, you'll have roughly two weeks left to two and a half weeks uh, for the conference committee to do their thing until we put it on the floor for the final vote on the final day. 
Um, the other, some of the other pieces, that's where things get a little bit more interesting. Uh, you know, I don't know if the oil tax bill makes it to the floor. I don't know if the BSA bill makes it to the floor. Uh, the defined benefits bill is not making it to the floor this year. It still hasn't made it out of labor and commerce yet. It will, um, but that's, it's still got to go through Senate finance. Um, that won't make it to the floor until next year. Um, you know, I, so it's, it's going to be, it's going to be very, very interesting. Again, you know, the majority itself is kind of split on, on some of these, these pieces that we're talking about. Um, so I don't know if they're, if they're going to make it a, a whole lot further. I expect that they will eventually. I don't know if it, if it's going to happen this year though. The, uh, <clears throat> what is your exhortation? I mean, cause I mean, I see there's a lot of comments in the chat room, of course, about all this stuff and about how the minority and the Republican majorities and how we've betrayed everything and how could we be talking about taxes and everything else and all this other things. But this is, again, this is all part of a fiscal plan. Uh, again, the cornerstone and the linchpin of that is the spending cap and then taking the dividend off the table. Those are the two biggest parts of this whole thing. But, I mean, it's it's all inclusive at this point. So what do you say to folks who scream at you about that kind of stuff? Because I'm sure you're not only getting it here, you're probably getting it in other areas as well, especially coming from North Pole. What, what do you say to people when they talk to you about this? I mean, why would you put up a tax? Why would you do this? Why would you, you know, what what is your what is your answer to that? Well, I mean, what I go back to is that we have basically been feasting at the oil trough for the last 50 years in this state. And the the common pattern around the world, this isn't just Alaska, the common pattern around the world is if you have a government that is primarily funded by resource wealth, because the government owns the resource wealth, just like it owns the, the, oil, uh, the oil resources here in Alaska, the common problem that you run into is a bloated budget, a, uh, an anemic private sector out, outside of government, outside of that main resource industry. Um, and, and you know ultimately what we have to do is find a way to fix those things. And, and kind of the, the ultimate question is, what is the least bad way to fund government? Every way we fund government is bad. We know that because every every dollar that goes to government is a dollar that's not going to be spent in the private sector. So we, we understand it along those lines. But it's a case of which way is the least bad way to fund government? What gets you a government that does not grow uh, and spend every dollar it can exponentially? What, what, uh, what way to fund government gets you a government that has to care about the private economy instead of of living off the trust fund, you know. Sometimes we we hear these comments uh, from the other side about about the dividend and saying, "Well, we don't want people to, you know, turn into trust fund babies or something like that." And I'm like, "Okay, I can kind of understand that, but I don't want a trust fund government because that's even worse. Um, I don't I don't want a government that can grow uh, much faster than the private economy does, and that can grow uh, without any sort of accountability to the people for the money that it's spending." because it's getting its money out of Wall Street. Um, and so are taxes bad? Absolutely, 100%. But there are things out there that are worse than taxes. And that's what we're, I think we're finally starting to realize that, realize that the, the reality of that, 
that a government that can grow 80% faster than the private economy because it's going to get the vast majority of its money out of Wall Street is even worse than a government that that gets its money out of taxes. So your argument and, your argument is about the disconnect between the public and the private sector. That's really what it, it comes down to because there's no it, skin in the game, I guess, or investment on the no buy-in from the people on it. That's that's what your argument comes down to. There's no buy-in from the people on getting us to spend less and there's no buy-in on the government in getting us to have good economic conditions. We're, we're in a place in, in Alaska where, uh, you know, we've been rated at or near the bottom for business climate for a, a decade now. And, you know, our lack of a spending cap, our lack of a long-term fiscal plan, our lack of, of a government that cares about anything besides oil uh, really plays a very strong part in that. And if we, if we want to move forward, I mean, it's it's going to sound strange, but we actually have to think a little bit like other states do. This is Alaska. We do things different up here. We know this. You know, this, this is our, our mantra. But you know what? When when, you know, we talk about it with education that other states are doing things better, we should emulate them in some ways. Well, they're doing their fiscal, their their finances uh, better than we are, too. So what are the ways that that so many other states are having better, uh, better set finances and a better business climate that, that we can emulate. We know that there's spaces that we don't want to emulate, you know, California and, and a couple other places. But we also know that there's some places like Florida that are doing really darn well. And how do they structure their finances? How do they fund their government? You know, those are some some questions that, that we need to be asking ourselves and and We've been able to avoid most of those questions for 40 odd years now. Um, and are they painful? Yes. But as a as conservatives, as Republicans, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what's more important, being anti-tax or being small government? Um, and most of the time, those two go hand in hand. But right now, with our state being able to fund so much without uh, without a tax effectively, then, you know, that those two are no longer connected. Um, so what's more important, being anti-tax or being pro-small government? Uh, final thoughts here as we get ready to wrap up. We're less than uh, two minutes out. Your final thoughts to the folks who are listening and the electorate out there, what, what, do, you, what, do, what do they need to know? Well, I guess the, the kind of the big one is, you know, we've, we've been in a situation for the last few years um, in the Senate side that's, that's kind of papered over the cracks in a lot of ways because we had a Republican majority. Now that we're into this coalition side, I think a lot of things have been exposed that uh, were, were kind of hidden before. And some things are going, some, some more things are going to get exposed here over the next few weeks as we go through our budget process. And so keep an eye on, on what happens with the budget when it hits the floor. Uh, keep an eye on, you know, some of these larger uh, spending package bills um, and how they move things like the BSA and stuff, uh, because, again, that's going to expose a lot about uh, about the, where the Senate wants to go and, and where some of the cracks are within the Senate majority. Um, and, and it's going to give us uh, a clue, um, you know, kind of kind of where things are going and what we can start talking about next year uh, when it comes down to elections and things like that. Rob Myers uh, has been our guest uh, here, a senator from the Interior. Rob, thanks for coming on board and joining us today. We appreciate it. 
Yeah, happy to be here, Michael. Good Folk, to talk to you. Folks, we got more coming up uh, tomorrow. Brad Keithley, Chris Story, Wednesday, Mike Shower, working on some slice of life stuff as well. We'll see how that works out. Be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. All right, Rob. Final bite at the apple for those who haven't tuned out already. Rob, I didn't have to tell Rob. He knows. He watches this show. And he watches it on YouTube, which is good. I mean, I, I like that. Why can't more of you watch it? On, I need a thousand subscribers on YouTube. I don't know what the problem is. You know, I, I discovered pretty quick after you started doing YouTube that my phone behaves better with YouTube than it does with Facebook. Oh, so does that's it? why I'm on there most of the oh, time. Oh, does it? Okay, yeah. I don't know. I got like 4,000 followers on Facebook. I can't get a quarter of them to go over to YouTube to get that thousand subscriber list. Anyway, it's one of those things. Um, all right, Rob. Anyway, final final thoughts here as we get ready to go out there. I mean, again, I know that your argument falls on some deaf ears out here sometimes, but you know, there's is some fertile ground when you look at it and realize that this is about the disconnect. I think overall, this is about the disconnect between the private and the public sector. That is really the key component to trying to to, to sap the growth of government. Is that when they are on their own and they can? That's why they wanted that hundred billion dollar permanent fund, so they could just spin off that five billion a year every year, year after year, and do whatever they wanted with it. Um, I think that's the biggest danger that we have right now. But anyway, final thoughts from you. So I mean, it's about the disconnect. It's about incentives. It's about trends. You know, the trend is that we're gonna, you know, if if the Senate at least gets its way, then you know the dividend is going to be gone by about. 2028, give or take, depending on oil prices and, and stuff. Um, and then what? Net, then we're going to talk about a tax on top of it. So, you know, one one way to look at it is you can have the dividend and a tax, or you can have a tax and no dividend. You know, that that's the direction that we're, we're going. Um, another way is to talk about the disconnect between the private and public sector. And another way to talk about it is what incentive do we have to not spend? And under our current uh, structure, we effectively have none. Uh, you, you know, you get me and, and, and a few others that, you know, come at it from an, an ideological standpoint that we agree government should be smaller, but the overall, um, push from outside of this building is still, Hey, spend more money. Hey, you guys haven't have, doesn't have, you guys don't have, um, or, or, you know, the state has all of that oil money. The state has all of that, that permanent fund money. We want a slice of that. So how do you get a slice of that? Well, this, you, you have to ask the state for another spending program. You have to ask the state for a contract, you know, something along these lines. So, you know, because we've been in that situation for 40 odd years now that that so many people have set up their lives, have set up their businesses to we make our living off of the state spending money. How do you break that cycle? Right. Well, that's what I talked about, the welfare state on both the left and the right. you got the welfare state for the safety net, and you got the welfare state for the corporate cronyism side. Uh, it's hard when you got this huge constituency on both sides, and in the middle, we just keep getting squeezed further and further down. That's the, that's right. the biggest problem. Uh, all right. Well, Rob Myers, thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again here in the near future. Yep, yep. You know where to find me, Michael. We'll catch you later. All right, thanks. Rob Myers, our guest, The Michael Luke Show. 
All right, folks, that uh, brings us uh, to the end of the show for today. I hope that you uh, like and subscribed and shared and did all the did all the stuff, did all the used to be stuff. <clears throat> Harold said he really wished there was a show that brought on real guests who made a difference. I'm waiting for Harold to make a show. Then we'll see how that goes. Then we'll see how that goes. All right, folks, um, I am uh, out of here. I will see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for being part of it. Have a great day. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show